Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, April 21st. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This time out, the Mayor shares with us details of a discussion between the NDP's Rachel Notley and Premier Danielle Smith that she moderated and her biggest takeaways on what each leader offered up for the City of Calgary. Next, we head stateside for the latest news from the U.S., including the lawsuit against Fox News over the tabulation of votes during the 2020 presidential election. We get details from Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. And major stars are beaming into our city for next week's Calgary Expo. Our Mornings with Sue and Andy producer, Reese Schaefer, caught up with Star Trek's Jonathan Frakes. You know him as Commander Will Riker from The Next Generation. It's believed Calgary will be an important battleground in the upcoming provincial election. And this week, Mayor Jyoti Gondek hosted Premier Danielle Smith and NDP leader Rachel Notley at the Calgary Economic Development's annual report to the community. Got a chance to ask those two leaders some questions. And joining us to talk about it, as always on a Friday, is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Madam Mayor. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for being with us again this morning. Um, I, I didn't see a lot of, you know, what kind of came a, a, about after that get-together. So can you tell us some of the questions that you were asking of the Premier and the NDP leader la- this week at, at that uh, that uh, get-together? Yeah, absolutely. I asked um, each of them the same four questions, and then we took two questions from the audience. So we asked about their plans for economic development, obviously, it was an economic development event. We asked about downtown revitalization, uh, talked about intergovernmental collaboration, and municipal funding. And then the questions from the audience focused on arts and culture as well as post-secondary and um, inflation. So that's the gist of the question. All right. Good stuff there. As as far as the provincial outlook is concerned, I couldn't believe this when I saw this. 38 days until the provincial election. What are you seeing from the two candidates and, and how it differs for Calgarians between Ms. Smith and Ms. Notley? Well, Andy, in asking the questions, um, the responses I got demonstrated that there's a different approach to working with cities, and that's neither good nor bad. It's just different. So when we were talking about um, downtown recovery, uh, Ms. Notley spoke about $200 million for office conversion programs and $200 million for post-secondary and um, Premier Smith talked about things like building out supply chain corridors, upgrading the Deerfoot, making sure that the Blue Line extension connects to downtown, and discuss public safety um, in terms of recovery communities. And when it comes to economic incentives and programs, uh, Premier Smith talked a lot about reducing corporate income taxes and red tape reduction, making sure we have tax credits for things like agri-foods and digital media, and Ms. Notley talked about the similar things when it comes to a tax credit and regulatory fast passes and reinvesting in post-secondary. So, you know, their answers weren't the same. They approached things very differently. And I think Calgarians had an opportunity to see what their perspectives are. Was there somewhere that we can get that information, Mayor? You know, sort of the questions that were asked and the, and the answers therein? There might be a link on the Calgary Economic Development website. I don't know that um, they recorded and uploaded the video of this. I had a lot of notes that I was taking that day, so that's what I'm running off of. Yeah, I think that would be a very interesting conversation for everybody to be able to hear for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about something that we've had in the conversation with you, with city planners and among ourselves over the past several months, and that is those conversions from office space 
to residential in the downtown core. Now we're hearing that five more office towers have been approved for such a process. What can you tell us about these particular projects and, and how they're being funded? Well, I can tell you that now we have 10 projects that have been approved. Um, the city invested so far $86 million to assist with these conversions. And what we have managed to attract is $189 million in private sector dollars. So it's more than 2.2 times the leverage. Um, it's about 1.15 million square feet of office that is being removed and turned into housing. And it translates to about 1,200 units. So it is a really good story. Um, it indicates that there is market confidence for this type of program. And it's absolutely going to help make sure that downtown is active and alive at all hours of the day. Speaking of, there was a deal along Stephen Avenue to build a couple of big high rises and, and that's been quashed. So what, you know, how does that change the plans for revitalizing the 8th Avenue area of Stephen Ave? Well, we still carry forward with our project to look at the future of Stephen Avenue. And I know there's active engagement and many people involved in understanding what that will look like um, in terms of not only uh, design of buildings, but also design of the um, public spaces and amenities there. When it comes to that specific project, I just think it was a it was an issue of timing. I believe the anchor tenant is no longer interested. So, you know, sometimes these things fall through for reasons that we can't control. And I think that's what happened in this situation. All right, we will be speaking with you next Friday again. Uh, but before we get to Friday, um, you know, we want to get some sort of an idea of what we're going to be in for when it comes to that parade of wonders. You're very much involved with the Calgary Expo. I, I believe you told us last year what your costume would be, but you didn't get a chance because of snow. So can you reveal to us right now, in that parade of wonders, to kick off the Expo, what will you be wearing? Last year, I did not tell anybody what my costume was going to be. And actually, the entertaining thing is when I tried to log into my phone, it wouldn't recognize my face because I had the White Rabbit costume on. So um, I will do the same thing I did last year and surprise you all on the day. You won't even give us a nugget? You know I love you guys, but I'm not going to give you a nugget. Fine. It's the Parade of Wonders. It's next Friday morning, and the mayor will be leading the charge. I have it on good authority from Andrew and from Tiffany that there will not be a snowstorm. There can't be a snowstorm. And, you know, if if we are winding down, may I add something, Sue? Yes. I would like to wish everyone an Eid Mubarak. Now that uh, the month of Ramadan is over, uh, the Muslim community in Calgary will be celebrating Eid. I wish you all many, many uh, blessings for a joyous and peaceful Eid. As do we. Thank you so much, Madam Mayor. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Jody Gondek, Calgary Mayor. The organization Fox News is embroiled in a lawsuit with details on this in all the news south of the border. We are joined for our weekly chat with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. It's uh, the Fox Dominion lawsuit. Can you tell us what this surrounds, Jackson? Yeah, so this all dates back, of course, to the 2020 election and the fact that Fox continually and uh, knowingly aired lies about the role of Dominion voting systems in Donald Trump's conspiracy theories that the election was stolen. This was a $1.6 billion defamation suit brought by Dominion. And from the outset, Fox was in trouble here. The jury had already been seated, but the judge had already ruled that the material that Fox hosts had aired was false. And so really the case came 
came down to whether there was malice involved in Fox's continued airing of false claims about the election being stolen using Dominion machines. And right as the trial was about to proceed into opening arguments, we found out that Fox had agreed to settle for $787.5 million. That is astonishing. That is more than the value of Dominion as a company. But there is no formal apology. Instead, uh, Fox put out a statement essentially saying that they acknowledge, uh, per the judge, that some of the statements that aired were false, but they're not saying anything on air. And of course, Fox benefits by uh, settling because Fox chairman Rupert Murdoch and key celebrities on the station like uh, Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson did not have to uh, suffer the embarrassment of testifying in open court as witnesses. So clearly that was not the the goal by Dominion then. They just wanted, you know, to, to be proven that they didn't do anything wrong. I mean, you would think someone would want an apology, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, in Dominion's case, uh, the, the settlement will serve as apology and acknowledgement that false statements were broadcast by Fox is as close as they're going to get. That said, Fox faces another larger $2.5 billion lawsuit from Smartmatic, which is another voting systems company. Similar allegations of defamation and Smartmatic, as I understand it, has made it clear that they will not settle for anything less than what Dominion got. And they may, in fact, be seeking a more public apology as well. On our side of the border here, Jackson, is something that's been talked about for months, Chinese political interference and kind of clandestine Chinese police stations in our nation. Sounds like this is also an issue in the U.S. that's being dealt with. What can you tell us about the situation down south? That's right. And what's different here is that the U.S., uh, while having identified similar um, outposts or secret police stations, if you want to call them that, uh, this week the FBI and the Department of Justice actually laid charges. And they charged two Americans with uh, assisting with the operation of this police station, 36 Chinese nationals based in China who are members of the Chinese National Police Service. And essentially there were three separate investigations here. One was into the operation of the police station, and they're saying that those American citizens actually assisted the Chinese National Police in locating Chinese dissidents and pro-democracy activists on U.S. soil. The second investigation revolves around an elite unit of essentially a cyber unit of the Chinese National Police. And they say that cyber trolls were intimidating and stalking and threatening um, Chinese dissidents in the United States using social media platforms and really trying to dissuade them from speaking and even trying to convince them to come back to China. And then the third investigation... This uh, is an, an addendum, I guess, to a prior investigation into Zoom. And there's allegations that an executive at Zoom assisted China's national police in uh, essentially spying on Zoom meetings and infiltrating Zoom meetings involving Chinese dissidents and then blocking those users or passing on information about those users to Chinese authorities. So really, big picture, uh, a sweeping investigation. We know similar investigations are underway in Canada into those secret police stations. And it suggests that the reach of uh, the Chinese government is far and wide. Uh, we know from a prior investigation, it's estimated that there are 50 of these secret police stations uh, in operation uh, around the world. Speaking of spying and sharing secrets, a judge delayed the detention hearing for Jack Texera. He's that Air National Guardsman young punk who is charged with uh, leaking top secret documents about the war in Ukraine. What, what's, the, what's behind this and the slowdown? 
Yeah, essentially, I think at this point, it's um, uh, that the defense is asking for more time. So they're granting a defense request at this point. Uh, Texera, though, did waive his right to a preliminary hearing. And I think you're going to see this investigation, you know, really dive into what was his motive here in allegedly leaking these documents into the the, uh, chat group of online gamers. Uh, Was it malicious or was he just trying to impress a group of friends? And then, you know, how was this breached? How was this disseminated beyond that private group? That's really what they're looking at here. It seems like, I'm not sure if it's every year or so, but there's a cycle that we hear about the U.S. debt ceiling. And uh, we're in the conversation again with that debt ceiling, what are the plans to deal with rising debt levels in the U.S. right now? Yeah, Republicans have proposed a $1.5 trillion increase in exchange for certain uh, concessions, such as, uh, you know, cutting funding uh, to uh, uh, new IRS agents as one example. Uh, But the Biden administration has made it clear they are not willing to negotiate on this. And so it seems like we're headed for a standoff here. Uh, You know, interest rates are already starting to rise simply based on fears about what could happen. Uh, And uh, this is potentially very, very messy. It really has the potential to damage the U.S. economy. And even fears of breaching the debt ceiling alone are enough uh, in the past to uh, lower the American credit rating. So this could have major implications for the global economy if they can't reach a deal in time. Jackson, I'm not stalking you by any means, but I do follow you <laughs> on the Twitter. And I notice that something is missing, I think, here. And, oh, well, something was missing on my page, too, that little blue check mark. Uh, mine, too. Are um, you sure it's really me? Well, yeah, <laughs> there's the question. So CEO Elon Musk said he was going to do it. Uh, mine came off yesterday, and I normally wouldn't check on such things, but I was curious as to whether or not it would be removed. My blue check is now gone. And I'm wondering, you know, your thoughts on this, talking with other journalists in the U.S., is it a big deal? And the general public, what have you heard? Are people going to be paying that eight bucks a month or whatever it might be to get a, a you know, a, a bought and paid for blue check mark? Yeah, so I think the general question of do people care uh, if they are verified? Probably not. I think the value of being verified on Twitter has uh, certainly decreased in recent mm-hmm. months. That being said, Twitter is a really powerful tool, especially for journalists, right? You get access to uh, information in a way that you wouldn't normally. You see people who are in places as events are unfolding and they're posting that information. You see academics and experts in really specific fields offering their insight in a way that you wouldn't normally get unless you're doing dozens and dozens and dozens of interviews. So there is value out there in terms of who's on the platform. But you're right, when it's a Wild West, when you don't know who is who anymore, that value decreases rapidly. And I think what you'll see broadly is a shift amongst media organizations to sort of a post-social media era where they're no longer catering uh, their assignments or perhaps story ideas based on what they're seeing on social media. And they're recognizing that investing time in posting on social media is probably not worth the payoff. The funny thing is, for all the talk about Twitter and its importance at the end of the day, it really makes up for media organizations around the world a really small percentage of the sort of referrals back to their websites. People read the tweets. They're not necessarily clicking on the articles and returning to the company's website the way they do with, say, Facebook. And so I think at the end of the day, Elon Musk has overseen the devaluation of Twitter by half of the $44 billion he paid for it so far. We don't know where this is going to go, but I think you're going to see more and more people either sign off or simply realize there's not much value in posting anymore. Yeah, my blue check mark's gone as of today, but I did notice Elon Musk paid his own $8 for this month because his blue check mark's <laughs> still there. So that's right, good it's kind, news. It's kind of wild to see who's actually paying the $8, yes, right? Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a good investment to me. I I didn't feel bad when I knew that Oprah's was taken (laughs) and Beyonce. The Pope. The Pope. (laughs) We're all in good company, Jackson, that's for sure. Exactly. Have a great weekend.
You too. Take care. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. QR Calgary, Talk on FM, and, of course, Mornings with Sue and Andy, Talk on FM, QR Calgary. Make it so, number one. He'll always be number one in my heart and the hearts of millions of Star Trek fans. Actor Jonathan Frakes beams into Calgary for the upcoming Calgary Expo next week. He'll be snapping pictures and signing autographs Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And he's taken time to join us this morning. Good morning, Jonathan. It's a privilege to speak with you. Good morning, Reese. Well, you know, you're best known for your role as Commander William T. Riker on Star Trek The Next Generation. What was it like working on this beloved series, this beloved character? Did you ever expect it would have the cultural significance this long after it aired? We never dared hope, as LeVar said the other day. It's 36 years ago we started on this show. Yeah. Then we did uh, 182 episodes, and we did four movies, and then we thought we were done. And here we are, especially this season three of Picard. Mm. We've all been gathered bit by bit by bit. The reaction has been surprisingly warm. I think the combination of, of nostalgia and familiarity and, frankly, the age of the characters and the age of the actors has informed it. The writing has been brilliant, so that hasn't hurt. So it's it's been lightning in a bottle for us, and uh, I couldn't be happier. So what was it like taking up the mantle of William Riker again when you took on Picard, you know, in front of the camera, behind the camera? Was it just like stepping into an old pair of shoes? Well, it actually wasn't. I remember in season one, the, the mighty Michael Chabon wrote an episode in which Picard brought uh, Sonny, Sony mm-hmm. back. He had sort of a surrogate daughter to visit uh, Riker and Troy, who had left Starfleet and moved to a planet called Nepenthe with the hopes that their son would be cured. And their son, Thad, unfortunately died, and they lived there with their brilliant daughter, Kestra. So we fast-forwarded through that. But before we shot that, I had just, I'd been directing Patrick on the show. I'd been doing a lot of directing, but I hadn't acted in about 10 years, and I knew that Patrick's was running on all, on all cylinders. And Marina, who plays Councilman Troy, Marina Circes, had just closed on the West End starring in the show in London. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get buried by my cohorts. <laughs> so I was uh, a nervous wreck until I looked, you know, Riker looked into the eyes of Picard and Riker looked into Troy's eyes. And all of a sudden it did feel like what you said. It did feel like we were putting on comfortable shoes and in a familiar territory. We spent a lot of time together. Absolutely. So, and by the time of season three, whether it was intentional or not, the information from that story in which Riker had lost his son, and as you know, in season three of Picard, he discovers that he has a son. Yeah. He's handling it in a way that really disturbs Riker, and he, he lets him know in, in no uncertain terms, I've lost a son, you found a son, don't f*** this up. And that's very much the way that uh, the conflict begins. And on Star Trek, as you've watched for years, conflict is not something that usually happens among the crew. So it's uh, been a very exciting time as an actor, as a director. Absolutely. You know, that's such an interesting point that there wasn't much conflict between cast members on the original series, the Star Trek The Next Generation, and then you've kind of been able to change that narrative in Picard. Why was that such an important change to kind of flesh out those characters a bit more? I think it was important to make the storytelling more interesting. 
I think in specifically to the Riker Troy and Riker Picard story, the fact that we had lost a son and I think historically couples who lose a child have a rough patch in their marriage and in mm-hmm. Picard, Troy and Riker are sort of on the rocks while are all around us. Worf comes in and now he's a pacifist. Jordy comes in and he doesn't want us to uh, put his daughter in danger, who also happens to be in the ship. There's so much good storytelling that creates good drama based on the on the conflicts, the inherent conflicts. All right, so you are beaming into the Calgary Expo next week here. What keeps you motivated to go to these fan expos to meet everyone that um, has such an affinity for you and your work? The thing about the the uh, conventions is that some people don't realize we're the ones that win, especially if you're a Star Trek actor. What happens is that people come to our table and they share with us what Star Trek has meant to them. They're, they're spending their hard-earned money to come and see us. And generally they say, I've become a doctor because, or I've become an astronaut because, or a, a physician, or a, mm-hmm. a astronomer, or or help me through recovery with drugs and alcohol. There's something about the power of Star Trek that the fans come and feel safe enough to share with us. And that's kind of a gift, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, I was digging up trying to find some an interesting tidbit for this interview, and not a lot of people might know that you have a connection with the band Fish. Is it true that you have a Fish gold record, and how did that all come about? Oh, what a great question. Probably my best credit. <laughs> I used to live next door a producer named Paul Fox, who produced R.E.M. and Bjork and Jacob Dylan and Fish. And they rehearse in this room that uh, was in the front of my place, and it turns out that the Fish guys, they were massive trekkers, and knew I played trombone. So, they invited me to play on their album. I was over the moon. Paul says, we'd come out Saturday, we'd go to the studio. So I took my trombone out, went to the studio out in the valley, and the charts were up in the music stand, and I went into the booth, and when I tell you it was beyond my level of playing, it was, first of all, it was like four sharps. Secondly, it was all high, top-range my lip was not up to it. My embouchure was not up to it, but my technique was not up to it. So I attempted these charts, which were very, very intricate. And I choked, you know, I, over and over. And they said, okay, let's try again. And it became very clear within four, five, six, seven takes that I didn't have the chops needed for this this track, for this um, cut. So generously, they uh, we, had, we had a nice lunch. I went home, they hired the wonderful trombone player from Tower of Power, they got what they wanted, and then the album comes out. And there's a little track on the album called Riker's Mailbox. This house that I lived in, right next to Paul's house, had one of those mailboxes that was uh, painted like a cow. You know those, mm-hmm. they, one looks like a largemouth bass. Sometimes yeah. This was a cow that had been hit by so many cars because of this skinny little street, so it was dented, and it was a very significant landmark on the street. So the cut of my outtakes on that Hoist album is called Riker's Mailbox. And because of that, I'm on the album. And because Paul was so generous, I have a gold record. There's your story. We're looking forward to seeing you in town next weekend. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this morning. Reese, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you. 
That was actor Jonathan Frakes. He will be beaming into the Calgary Expo next weekend. You can catch him Friday, Saturday, and Sunday live at the Calgary Expo. Head over to fanexpohq.com slash calgaryexpo to get your tickets. For QR Calgary, I'm Rhys Schaefer.